0: Good evening fans, Tim Kittrow here, the voice of NBA Jam, and you're listening to the Game Dev Breakdown Podcast, brought to you by CodewrightPlay.com. Woo-boom-shakalaka!
1: My mom gave birth in 1985, I was blue within a Pac-Man ghost, barely alive in the Cold War my only blanket was Tetris I played rampart we' raking rampage the world for breakfast the laundry mat was my sanctuary the arcade was my church I thought I was dance so good good thanks for having me on this is cool
0: absolutely looking uh the the studio is looking good there
1: yeah I'm just realizing I I have my my son's uh I don't even know what you call that one of his rocking yeah. devices there in the back so uh.
0: yeah for the listener who's not watching video the little uh layback bouncy seat for the baby uh congrats on the the new family life huh
1: thank you yeah it's my first uh well he he is my first i think i can use i can use an actual pronoun um <laughs> his uh his name's julian and he's three months so we're in the thick of it
0: boy yeah that takes me back yeah i my oh, yeah. uh I have a seven year old now, but I do remember working from my home office with the uh we had the, the moving seat thing that goes in the different shapes or whatever and tries to lull them to sleep or whatever and I'm just programming away. Yeah, that takes me back.
1: How 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 old is your uh yeah, you we have, have one or how many?
0: We just have the one and he's uh yeah, he's seven and uh I, I went indie as soon as he was born. So I, I wasn't in uh, the game industry, but I was doing pro software at the time and um, we decided I would take a run at the indie life, try to take care of the child. And uh, I'm here to tell you, trying to care for an infant and trying to program at the same time, I'm happy to say he's okay. The programming project suffered.
1: Yeah, I can't imagine, honestly. Uh, So your wife was working then full time on top of that? (laughs)
0: Yeah, she's a physician, so not nearly as uh, as much leeway about what you do for a career, what you do for work, and everything. So I can do my stuff from home, you know.
1: Yeah, that's cool. That's uh, that's I, I have much much respect for you. I I can't imagine. I haven't had quite uh, that the. I mean, I haven't had the full experience yet taking care of him. Just me. My wife's yeah. going to go back. My, my wife's going to go back to work a couple of days a week, so I will be finally taking over. Um, you know some duties, but, uh, but yeah, lots of respect.
0: (laughs) Wow. It's a transition, but, um, it's, it's awesome. Obviously it's, it's very cool. And, um, I, I got to look at a little bit of your Twitter feed earlier and you seem, seem thrilled about it. So I'm I'm psyched for you. That's cool.
1: Oh, thanks. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. It's all the emotions.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, um, cool. So, uh, Greg, thanks for jumping on. Let's, uh, let's start by having you sort of introduce yourself and your work if you don't mind.
1: Sure. Uh, well, I'm a composer. Uh, in this case, of course, we're talking mostly about uh, a video game. But I work in a lot of different genres, a lot of different mediums. I mostly started working in film and TV. That was pretty much my only focus. Um, moved out to LA back in 2007. Did some assistant stuff with other composers. Uh, worked for Barry McCreary for a little bit. Um, you know, really wanted to be you know, work on a big sci-fi show or something was sort of my big goal. But, you know, the more I sort of, you know, bumped around out here and, and, and sort of took different gigs after different gigs, I kind of realized I liked writing in a lot of different styles. I realized, you know, I'm, I'm a big gamer and it wasn't really a, a like a, a part of the career I'd really thought much about. Um, and so I started going to conventions, GDC, uh, PAX, IndieCade, and just sort of, You know, hanging around and seeing who I can meet and having conversations, and that sort of got me into the gaming industry a little bit. Um, But in the meantime, I was still just working on indie films and and just sort of trying to to make a go of it as a composer. I didn't really uh, land a full time gig until I I I had sort of a I don't really want to call it a breakthrough. It's just kind of of a of a a set of random events that led me (laughs) to working at Disney. But um, a friend of mine, Rob Cantor, was doing this had this idea for this crazy video. uh, you may have seen it. It's uh, actual cannibal Shia LaBeouf came out in 2014. <laughs> yeah. It's a, yeah. I don't know if it, you should check it out. If you haven't seen it, it's sort of hard to describe, but, but he, he had written the song and he wanted someone to make it epic. Basically he had all these ideas for the visuals, but he needed somebody to basically like create the choir parts, right? The string quartet parts. Originally it was for orchestra, but we had to pair it back. Um, and uh, and so I did that video went crazy viral. Rob kind of got noticed by Disney. And then when he started writing songs for them, he introduced me over there. So it kind of became this, you know, sort of gateway into the animation world that then became um, a, sort of the bulk of the work that I did uh, from, let's say 2015 on. Um, and that's actually also why I, I, I ended up on Postanomics because Jody was uh, the, the lead developer was, was sort of aiming for kind of a D- Disney Pixar art style with the game and, you know, was excited to have met a composer that, that was doing that
0: hmm so that's sort of, the,
1: that's sort of the, the the more recent history i guess
0: yeah absolutely yeah. so already we've got games film tv uh viral sure. videos disney yeah. we got a lot of directions we could go from here but um so we should start with potionomics just came out what days ago right monday yeah monday how i mean how's release going so far
1: i think it's going really well i mean for a second we were number one on steam above like everything above Call of Duty, about you know, we were literally just right <laughs> on, the, on the top slot, so that was not something I expected to see um, from an indie game. Um, we've we've dropped a bit since, but um, but yeah, I, I, it seems like release is going really well. Um, the reviews are pretty positive. It seems it seems the the biggest criticism is just that the game is too hard. Uh, somebody <laughs> somebody called it the the Dark Souls of potion selling games, which I thought was <laughs> pretty fun. Um, but yeah, it seems to be going really well.
0: That's very cool. I want to get your Role correct. You're are you considered part of Voracious Games? Is that right?
1: Technically, I, I, I don't think so. I mean, I'm I'm, I'm a contractor for them. So Got I mean, it. even though I've been working for them, uh, you know, since almost since the beginning, I'm, I'm technically not a, a member of the the company. But that's that's pretty typical for composers. We usually, um, you know, just we do lots of different jobs. So and, I, and like, like I said, I was working on all these Disney shows at the same time. So mm-hmm. I kind of you know, worked it in, in and amongst my other projects. But yeah, Voracious Games is the name of the studio.
0: Mm-hmm. And I, I thought I saw an email that Potionomics as a project started in like, what, like 2016? Did I see that right?
1: Yeah. Um, yeah, I I um, met the um, Corey Blackburn, who's one of the co-founders of the company and the lead programmer on the project at GDC. I think it was my first GDC, actually, that I met him. And, um, yeah, that was probably back in 2014 and yeah, he, he sort of, I guess, thought I would be a good fit for it and sort of went to bat for me when, when he started working on the project. Mm
0: -hmm. I mean, that's, that's a pretty good long, uh, development time. So, yeah, uh, that, that's cool. Do you mostly work out of your like home studio? Like what's it look like?
1: Yeah. Most composers do, um, these days, there are a couple exceptions, actually, in the gaming industry. You'll sometimes see, you know, that I can think of a, a like Riot Games, for example, has composers on staff, and 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 some other, um, some. Other, so I, I've encountered it from time to time where the sort of the audio director of the whole company is also the main composer, and so they're they're basically on staff, um, working in the office. But 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 typically, most composers are yeah, they're all contractors like me, work from their own home studio. Maybe they're they're big enough, they've built one out somewhere. Um, but yeah, and I—I I, I, this is my let's see third space I've worked out of since is that right? I think I'm skipping one, but it's my third or fourth space since starting the game. So there were a lot of moves. It was a long <laughs> period of time. Usually, you don't hire composers right at the beginning like that, right? But yeah. uh, but um, Jody was building his team sort of from the ground up, and I was there, and so he brought me on board. He also really wanted, um, and this is also a little unusual. He really wanted some music written in advance of even having the the game loop done because he wanted it to help pitch uh, to investors. He was very mm. like, he was very investor focused at that, at that time because as an indie game, you know, funding is sort of life or death. That's everything. It doesn't really matter how much talent you have, how much drive you need. You need, you need funding for otherwise the project will probably just fizzle, you know?
0: And th- that's something I love about uh, the potionomics project because you see a lot of indie games look at audio in general as kind of an afterthought. Let's get everything else done. Let's slap whatever in. And instead, I mean, if, if um, listeners haven't looked at your Twitter feed, I would strongly suggest they do. We'll have links in show notes, of course, but uh, I got to watch something you composed performed by like a full orchestra. And I was blown away. Like it's, it's exactly the kind of stuff that uh, music fans love to watch. You know whether it's uh, you know here's the latest Star Wars film or whatever, but like it, it looked like that. It was the full deal. I couldn't believe it.
1: Yeah, it's cool. I mean, it's sort of this like nice perk of depending on how you look at it, it could be either a good perk or sort of a um not, you know a globalization in general is always sort of like a mixed bag. It's like it's really good that we can afford to do that, and the way we can do that is by recording in in places like Eastern Europe, um, Prague, Budapest. Um, Is where we recorded actually for this one was was budapest um there's a bunch of these orchestras and they they just do this full time i mean they realized that um they could basically you know they could they could offer this this rate the service at a much lower rate than we can record locally and you know which is again not a great thing for local musicians and and i really feel for them but for me at our budget level it really is the 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 difference between being able to record with an orchestra abroad or or not recording with one. And so, you know, we uh we took advantage of it and um I was really happy with how they did. I mean the only I guess I don't I don't want to call it a downside, but I, I i wish I was there. That'd be a big thing. And then also um the translation can sometimes become a a mm. bit of a a bit of a, a stumbling block because you know we are talking about music and music is very can get very um abstract. And so the same sort of I don't know if you've ever worked with a composer, but but there's always like sort of stumbling blocks with language. We all kind of talk about music in different ways, and that's true too, even for musicians, um, in, even in, even in your own country and culture. But when you're you know when you're interfacing with another country, you can just take longer to get your point across. That's all. And, and when, the, when, the, when the clock's tip, ticking down, you know, and you're thinking like, oh, it's another few hundred dollars there that we, <laughs> that we spent in ten seconds as 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 the uh, as the session time goes goes on.
0: It's fascinating because it kind of took me back to uh, my young days as a musician. Like I, I was a musician at an early age and uh, concert percussionists up through like age uh, 18, I guess, before I went off to college. And um, it, it is fascinating when there's a language barrier on top of everything. It's like, you know, music does kind of surpass all that in a sense. But like even as a kid, you're learning like Italian terms. And like, here's what these accent words mean. And there's all this stuff to remember. But uh, it's even more impressive that uh, it it had to be nerve wracking, kind of composing everything on your end, sending it off and hoping everyone's on the same page when they do this major operation to record this music, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, luckily, when it comes to orchestral music, specifically, like you said, it is sort of its own language. And so when you have those dots on a page, they're the same dots that that I look at. Um, so there is, it is the same language, at least physically, but, but, you know, at the end of the day, you can only get so much on a piece of paper. You still want to be able to talk to them. Um, sometimes I'll write with Budapest, I'll write instructions in Hungarian and they get a good chuckle out of that. Uh, (laughs) just, but like I said, it's, it can be, it's language, it's a language barrier. And even with folks who, who's, you know, who, who live in your own part of the world, because everyone just speaks about it differently. So you end up learning how to as a composer in general, you learn how to end up communicating in different, like in lots of different ways.
0: Okay, this episode is brought to you in part by Pact Publishing, who I love. Uh, if you are a, ga- a Unity game developer working on three D games. Or if you would like to be, check out Unity 3D Game Development from Pact, which is available right now. Uh, Unity 3D Game Development was written by not one, but four authors, including uh, Anthony Davis, an experienced senior technical artist. Uh, Travis Baptiste, who is an expert artist and 3D modeler. Russell Craig, who is a senior software engineer at Unity Technologies. And uh, Ryan Stunkel, who is a professional sound designer. So you should pay attention to who you learn from, and it's difficult to get more authoritative than this. So uh, the book walks you through designing characters, building environments, thinking your way through user interactions, getting technical with um, things like building, lighting, testing, uh, you name it. And you can join a book community on Discord where you can interact with the authors, meet other devs, participate in events, all kinds of stuff. So uh, check out Unity 3D game development available right now if that sounds good to you. Big thanks to Pact for supporting the show. I'm curious how music in general started in your life. I mean, like, what age? What instruments? How did that go? Sure, um, pretty. You know, I was
1: lucky. I grew up in a really, I'm uh, um, awesome public school system. Um, I'm from Connecticut, the East Coast, and the the, the schools there were just really well funded um, and had great arts programs. The, the the specific high school I went to, it was really strange. They. Um, they worked their foreign language blocks in the same time as the um as the arts and music blocks and so there was sort of this long hour and a half period of time in the center of the day where you would either be taking a foreign language or band or choir and if you were just taking band or choir you'd get that full hour and a half (laughs) Um, and which was all it's the only class in the in the whole curriculum that was that long And, you know, you can get it five days a week. Right. So, so if you really want, if you were an arts and theater kid, you could just go whole hog. And it's almost like going to a, I mean, I don't, I didn't go to a magnet arts magnet school, but I imagine it felt a little bit like that. Um, so, so, you know, I was just sort of living and breathing music all through high school. Um, uh, I, I play the trombone. That was my, my instrument of choice, which, you know, is not the most versatile instrument in the world. I mean, (laughs) trombone champ, notwithstanding, uh, have you played trombone champ? I'm, I'm assuming you've, you're aware. I've been
0: watching it. I I'm, I'm waiting to try it. Yeah.
1: I don't want the carpal tunnel. I don't think I, I need more uh frantic mouse movement in my life. So I'm <laughs> probably not going to play it. But but uh but yeah, trombone is is, is, is my main instrument. I sing a little bit too. And uh honestly just picked it up. Yeah, picked it up in public school and that was that was it. I mean, I I I kind of kind of blame my parents for not Forcing me to take piano lessons, because that could have been been really helpful. But uh, at the end of the day, maybe I, um, you know, maybe I, I love music more. Like, who knows? Maybe if they forced it on me, I would have rebelled against it or something. You know how crazy kids are.
0: That is the discussion in our household right now.
1: Oh, really? Oh, yeah.
0: Because like I said, we have a a seven year old. My wife is a fantastic pianist and I uh, started with drums. And so obviously I probably had a little more fun as a kid while she was doing tough lessons and stuff. But she's fantastically trained in music theory now. Uh, She's and I'm I'm struggling to catch up with that because as I'm doing like my indie game projects and stuff, I go, well, I have a musical background. I'd love to take a stab at composing this stuff and like I'm able to do it. But it hurts a lot more in my brain uh, yeah. trying to make up that theory stuff I never got, and so I'm I'm kind of going like, let's start the boy on piano, and uh, he can branch out after he knows you know notes and sight reading and and things like that stuff that it it you know the brain it's something about once your brain is so developed as an older teen or an adult like it it's a little harder to learn that stuff you could have really really nailed uh, before age ten you know.
1: The theory, I think, is a little easier than the muscle memory um, would be. At least that's my personal mm-hmm. experience. Like, I can wrap my head around the the heady stuff, but, but what I really wish I had was just in my hands has have that coordination to um, – I mean, you sort of have a bit of that as a drummer, I'm sure, just, you know, doing the yeah. different directions. <laughs> the, all that. The like, parts, then, yeah. That stuff, I'm, ima- I'm imagining just the brain, like, you know, creating all these pathways when you're young, and so i definitely uh, gonna gonna try to get Julian to 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 learn something that's two handed, uh, some musical instrument that's two handed, if it's guitar or piano, just so he starts getting that um, coordination down.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, yeah,
1: but yeah, everything is easier when you're younger. Learning anything is easier when we're younger. It's, we don't appreciate it until it's gone.
0: Right. Absolutely. I, you know, I, and I, I coasted through, I wasn't the best student. I didn't take things seriously enough. And now it's like, oh, that young brain. And now how much harder I work on everything. Um, Great. were you a marching band kid then?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. For Sure. We weren't, um, it was actually some pretty competitive marching band bands around my hometown. Um, and we were sort of the the worst <laughs> of all of them because we only did one day a week, and every other band in the in the sort of the county were they were every day. They they, they worked at it. They they rehearsed every day, and we were we were a really big school, so we we had to compete against the best. And yeah, so I mean, it wasn't my favorite thing in the world. I um, but yeah, we did it. I had a lot more fun in a punk rock marching band I became a part of after college called Muka Pazza, um, mm-hmm. which is based out of Chicago, and that. That was probably the most fun I ever had with the trombone. It's a uh, they're still around. Um, they, like I said, punk rock marching band. There was a about twenty five people, so full drum line, saxophone section, uh, brass section, but also electric guitar. Like we had a, <laughs> a couple electric guitars where they had megaphones on their heads and amps on their back, and they would march around with us, and we'd play sort of strange, you know, covers of old '60s TV tunes, but also like and brass stuff. And it was just, you know, really a real great time.
0: I love that. I, and every once in a while, you'll see like a viral video featuring uh, an act like that, which I, I would have loved to get involved in. I just didn't know anybody who was doing anything like that at the time. But as soon as I saw it, like on social media later on, it was like, oh, that makes total sense. That seems like a ton of fun.
1: Yeah, it was so much fun. I, uh, I wish I stayed in Chicago a little longer, actually, to kind of just mess around with those guys. But I was, I was intent on getting to L.A., so I just only stayed there about a couple of years before I came out here.
0: Totally, yeah. And so you, you end up doing composition for, uh, I, it's, it looked like some commercial work, TV, film, and you, you got hooked up at Disney. And uh, I, I saw somebody had kind of taken you, a, a pretty famous Disney composer had kind of taken you under their wing. What was the story there?
1: Oh, I wouldn't say under my wing, but... Um, it. Uh, his name was Buddy Baker, and and he is. Yeah, he's a he's one of the legends. Um, I I, I believe his most famous film would be the Fox and the Hound, um, yeah. the original. And <laughs> he uh would run this. He ran this workshop called the Buddy Baker Workshop in New York, and it only lasted about three weeks. And it uh, it was my first experience recording with live musicians, and I had so much to learn. I I hadn't um. I don't even think. I think I was right out of high school, so I was pretty. I really didn't have much experience uh, working with live musicians at all um, that I, that I had written for, and uh, so I was really nervous. He he. It was the last workshop he ran, um, and so I got to. He got to. You know, he gave me feedback. He. I took lessons with him throughout those three weeks, and you know, he was just. You know, he just. He, I think when you're his age, I mean, he was in his. I don't know. It was he was really up there, probably late eighties. Like you don't oh, wow. have any. You don't have any more um, like like your your BS is just gone. So he was just willing to just tell me exactly what he thought. This is too fast. (laughs) This isn't a good memory. This isn't a good melody. (laughs) Rewrite this. Like you know, just sort of just go right right for it. And you just kind of be like, okay, yeah, my I I don't quite have the ego to withstand this (laughs) yet. But uh, but but it was it was um, it was a, a learning experience, and I guess you know sort of forecasting the fact that I would ultimately be working for Disney too.
0: That's so cool. Uh, (laughs) That story reminds me of um, one of the first concerts I played in uh, downtown St. Louis. I was with a bit of a punk like funk kind of, Uh, hybrid band and we were playing at like a, an art house show. And, and we were very excited about it, but this, the guy who ran it was this um, local professor who did like a, like a rock music appreciation course. And like, he was locally very well respected. And he kind of took us back after our set and was like, yeah, I just wanted to talk to you guys about some of your stuff. And he like went through all of us critiquing (laughs) and he was a little bit of an older guy also. Right. Right. And he, he got to me and was like, you know, I loved your beats. I love the way you support the band. Uh, it was really complicated, though. And I mean, like, it's it's just rock music, man. And as a 17-year-old, I was, like, deeply wounded by this. <laughs> I was like...
1: Right. And this was right who, after the show. You had just finished playing, and he's... We, yeah, on. the
0: adrenaline was still up a little bit. And he's like, come on, it's just rock music, man. I was like, who's this guy? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He was absolutely right, by the way. Yeah. This is good good advice. But, God, music is like that. It's really personal, you know?
1: Yeah, it, it is. Um, I like to say that I have to fall in love with everything that I do, not as I don't say that as an idealistic statement, but more just like um, I need to find a way to love what I'm writing. Otherwise, I usually can't do it, you know, yeah. because it is it is personal. And so even if I'm working on a like these Disney shows are, are for a lot of them are for preschoolers. Right. So it's, it's not something I would naturally find a way into creatively as an adult. So, so yeah, you have to do a lot of, you have to find your way, find your inner child again. You have to find, um, you know, just find that way in and then, and then go with it.
0: Yeah. Some, some cool kids shows work, uh, which had to be fun anyway. I imagine that was, uh, pretty fun. And then like, like you said, it, it would be hard to approach something like you, you must have to do a lot of sort of fast projects, especially for commercials. I mean, you, oh, you get yeah. in, like, how do you really connect with that in such a short time, turn something around with like, I'm sure its own feel to it, but it's just this one thing, you know, does that make sense? Yeah.
1: Well, you don't, you don't is what I, what I would say. I did <laughs> right. it. That's why I don't do commercials anymore. Um, it, uh, commercials were, um, I always I I always almost forget that I had that. St- I, I did them for a while. Um, I, uh, just a quick story there. Um, I had been in LA maybe five years. I had a bunch load of credit, a bunch of credit card debt. I was totally broke. I was ready to leave. Right. I was done. I was pretty much ready to move back at that point. Um, and I get a phone call from somebody that just sounds, does not sound like a real person. (laughs) He has (laughs) really sort of like thick, like surfer accent. And I'm just (sighs) like, "Who, who are you? And he's just, he's, he's, he's pitching this. He said he got my business card from somebody at a party. And I'm like, well, okay. And, and eventually he's like, yeah, so we want to hire you to pitch on these, um, Microsoft ads. I'm like, okay. And like, well, you know, if you win it, we'll give you 25%. And then that, that's another point in the conversation where I'm like, wait, why would I, why <laughs> would I want to do that for 25%? I mean, you're going to yeah. take 75. He's like, yeah, but you know, the, the campaigns are like $200,000. I'm like, what? <laughs> i could not i'd never heard I, I didn't realize the money in advertising was that huge i had yeah. no idea and i i just so i'm like okay i might as well give it a try and i pitched on it and i got it right so i, I got that first one which is unheard of right I, I and so i ended up having music on a microsoft commercial like mm-hmm. that went international and i was able to pay off my credit card debt and i was able to have money to live on. I mean, like one of these things can pay enough for a year's salary, which um, it did. And, and then the funny thing is too, they would, they would back then they would give you um, this isn't that long ago, but I just still don't think they do this anymore, but they would give you lines. This is probably completely not kosher, but they're, they're called lines, which are union um, slots basically as a union mu- musician. And so you'd get like, I think I got like eight players worth of of slots as like mm. as if I was eight different musicians and so I would get checks in the mail um like small checks for like seven dollars eight dollars nine I would get envelopes that were like this thick of checks and I would just being an idiot would stand at the ATM and just put them in one by one and then I would get <laughs> long receipt out again I I I like it, it basically kept me working that job. Um I never got another ad again. I, I worked at it for three years writing demo after demo after demo and never really, I, mean, I got a couple of little ones placed, but never, never one like that. And, and yeah, like you were saying, it's not really the kind of thing where you, at least for me, where you respond in the material, because I mean, this is we all have our limits, I guess. Right. Yeah. And commercials just wasn't, it <laughs> just weren't something that I could find a way in. Honestly. Mm-hmm. And so it became such a hard slog for me. I really just started hating music while working on them. So I knew I had to stop. And so I eventually just one day was like, No more, we're done. Um that's when I was actually working as a video editor um by that time, full time. So I could afford to say that. But but uh but yeah, I had to leave I had to leave music for a while before I could find my way back into it.
0: Yeah. And I imagine video editing work in LA is a little, little bit more steady, maybe.
1: Yeah. Um wait I mean I mean, I know, I know, I, I, I may have just been lucky. I, that I found so much of it so quickly, but, but yeah, I mean, compared to composing, there's just, there's just a lot more need of it. I mean, the thing with video editing is that there are, um, I mean, if anything you see in the world, any piece of media has been touched by somebody in some way, uh, to edit it together, right? That means so everything from the lowest, you know, sort of the lowliest public service commercial to the highest, um, you know, Netflix drama that you can think of has a video editor. That isn't true for composers, right? Composers—they're yeah. on that high-end Netflix show, but everything else below that is taken up by music libraries now. Yeah. Uh, there isn't a composer writing that music; it's just music that that the editors pull from these vast libraries of royalty-free tracks that are out there, right? And so, there's just a lot less work paid, paid like steady paid work as a composer, while with video editors, they have a lot to lots, a lot of different levels they can sort of shoot for um the, yeah. the other thing about it is cool is that it was used the same part of my brain as being a musician uh just yeah. just getting the rhythm down i mean I, I originally thought it would be more about visual composition and i'm a terrible artist but um but it's not really about that it's more video editing is all about rhythm and pacing and just having a good aesthetic sense of what's you know what's a good performance what's a good a good a read of a line you know and that's sort of the same part of the brain i'm using as a film composer or, or a game composer
0: yeah. Uh, while the TV work was happening uh, composition wise, it looks like you got to contribute to, uh, among other things, Smallville. Is that right?
1: Yeah, that was actually my first gig out of high school. I was really, uh, yeah, I, w- I was again, sort of just the randomness of my field. I feel like every composer has a completely random, unrepeatable set of events (laughs) that lead them to whatever they end up doing. This, um, I feel like should have been a bigger deal, but I didn't know, maybe I didn't know how to leverage it. Um, I had, uh, I had, I had responded to a Craigslist ad um, to uh, score a industrial, like sort of internal documentary being made about the Mariani Fruit Company. I don't know (laughs) if you know that they're just like packaged dried fruit. You can see them in the dollar store or whatever. Sure. Um, So I did that, right? And then the next project that production company had was making these, this, the Smallville web series. And <laughs> I was the only composer they knew. So, like, do you want to do this? I'm like, well, yeah. Oh my gosh. This is only exactly what I'd want to do. And, and it really shouldn't have happened. I mean, they, they, they probably should have just used the music from the composer on the show. <laughs> but anyway, I sort of got snuck in there and I got to score these, these great little Smallville episodes. And it was, I was just, um, I was just completely over the moon on that. Um, I didn't really know what to do with it career wise. Um, I probably should have, you know, hired a publicist and maybe talked to agents and done all of those things. But um, I didn't really know how to leverage that at the time, so I kind of just did it and then. You know, moved on to the next thing, moved out to LA thinking like, oh, it'll all be this just just this easy. And it it was not.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. And and freelancing and contracting is like that. Uh, in in game related stuff, in art related stuff. Like I was doing programming through Upwork and an agency got a hold of me and was like, uh, we'd love to work with you because you're local. They were in St. Louis, I was as well. And they go, um, do you think you could help us port this guy's mobile game to like from like iOS to Android, something like that. And I was like, "Yeah, that's great. Let's let's you know hammer a paycheck together and do a good job. That sounds great. We'll we'll have fun." And uh, the next thing they got, they were like, "Would you help us do a VR contract for Lenovo for like Mobile World Congress?" And I was like, "Yeah, yeah, we could, <laughs> <Nice. laughs> we can, we can yeah. do that." And exactly right, like that gets done, and it's like, "How do we keep this momentum going?" And sometimes you just don't. It's like right. just on to the next thing, back to another app. You know, it's fine. But you're right; it's hard, you know.
1: I'm thinking the same thing with Postnomics. I mean, we're it seems like we're doing pretty well, and and I definitely want to do more gaming work. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely not totally sure what how to you know how to capitalize, or if we I'll be able to. I mean, I'm you know doing you know being able to do podcasts like this is part of it. Um, you know, engaging with people on Twitter and you know, having, having my music out there, people hearing it, you know, I mean, it's funny, the, the work I was doing, on all the work I've done, all the music I've done for Disney, my audience, they're two to seven year olds, right? So <laughs> yeah. I, don't, yeah. I don't really have a fan base. So there isn't really anybody <laughs> interacting with me just because um, if they're going to care about anything, they're more excited about the songs. Right. And, yeah. and even then, um, which, which Rob does, you know, all the writing on Rob Cantor. And even then it's not like, you know, Rob, if he's going to talk to anybody, it'll be the parents. Right. And so, so it really is special to be, um, on a project that has an audience that I can actually finally sort of talk to and interact with. Um, which, you know, I think people take for granted that all composers have, but you know, again, it's not, not necessarily true.
0: Yeah. And I mean, you're playing the long game really, because these two to seven year olds in 15 years, they're going to want you to do everything. You know Uh what I
1: mean? (laughs) I don't know, I don't know. Maybe. So, oh yeah, I remember your fairy godmother theme from I don't know. I don't know. Maybe.
0: That's the guy from Puppy Dog Pals. Let's go. Yeah. You know? well,
1: additional music. I always want to clarify Andy Bean is the main sure. composer on that
0: show. Yeah. yeah. It's cool it right that it it. it's yeah. cool cuz like I've I've seen some of the tweets and uh I I've looked at uh trailers for the game. I haven't got to play Potionomics yet. Gonna soon, but um it puts music front and center. I mean, the trailers, hugely musical, all this stuff. So, I mean, it does seem like that's a great one to be a part of in terms of getting yourself out there. So, I'm, I am hopeful that that uh, does lead to other great things for you. I'm sure people are, are looking at that Who's who's doing this great music, you know?
1: Yeah, I mean, the team is so good about giving me opportunities to shine. I mean, it's not necessarily the case that all composers, especially on bigger development teams, are gonna be you know given shout outs on social media right i mean yeah it's it's sometimes the case that uh game companies don't even list the composers on the soundtrack releases it's Mm -hmm. just you know music by the bethesda audio team and it's and they don't even it's just like who's that right i mean I, i don't understand that i mean i would i don't really understand the mentality behind that unless it just is a contractual thing um but yeah, with an indie game, you just have a lot more freedom, flexibility to sort of talk to the devs and, and they want to work with you. They want to, you know, they, they know that I'm going to do some work on the social media side to, you know, promote myself. And I'm, I'm making these cool orchestral videos and they're into that. And, you know, and again, since it's small enough, we can all talk to each other. And that's true too, on the development side, uh, because the team is so small, um, I got to have a lot of insight into um, implementation of the music. And that's, what that means is, you know, you write the music, right, and and you know, you have your melody or whatever. But implementation is is how it works in the game, right? How it when it triggers, how it loops, uh, maybe, maybe some random numbers generation. Where in terms of like which sections loop more or less frequently, um, I, I had to, I got to be really hands on and do all of that implementation myself. So I was able to, you know, have the game in front of me, have the music in front of me, and Play part of the game and be like, you know, this this piece of music's getting kind of annoying. I mean, I've heard this mm. fifteen times now in this section of music, I, in this section of the game. So I either need to make this longer, or or maybe maybe just find a way to break it up. And so I would, for example, in that case, you know, I'm just going to let the ambient sound carry the sequence for a while. So I would insert a a, a section with a probability of like. 30% that it would be a looped bit of silence, right? For for a certain duration. So I would know that the player would get a break from that piece of music for that period of time and let their ear sort of reset. Um, so usually that's actually handled by a whole other team. And yeah. I really loved being able to, to sort of to, to be the person doing that because as a film composer, that's actually closer to what I'm doing when I'm scoring a scene, right? I'm thinking a lot about pace and 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 how the music's interacting with the player. And with video games, that again, that isn't necessarily what the composer is doing. If there's a whole other implementation team,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because we're at that point, you're just writing the music. You're not really thinking about player um, impact
0: as much. Totally, totally. I, I think that's a, a highly overlooked thing when, uh, especially people who don't know too much about game development, it's like it's it's almost easy to miss completely because it's. It's brilliant in its implementation, just the the way the music can be manipulated, layered, uh, you know, repeated and and, and broken up and used in different ways, but like it's done so well that you <laughs> almost inherently don't notice it, but it's still part of like how great the experience is. And when you go back and think of it, I've I've been guilty of interviewing um d- developers at mid-size studios who uh had to explain to me like, oh, the the music is is highly dependent on how you're playing the game, what you're doing in this puzzle. And I go, Oh my God, how did I miss that? And of course it is. And, and it's almost like you, you don't notice, but you you would notice in a negative way. If the song had just looped 15 times while you're playing this one level, you know, and I, I I do. I think that's overlooked, you know?
1: Well, it's supposed to be, it's supposed to be invisible, right? I mean, no one ever says, Oh, I love that. There wasn't any music in that scene, but but it really is. (laughs) important to think about, um, when you're, when you're creating the experience for somebody.
0: How hard is it to learn? I mean, I'm sure every medium has its own, uh, sort of playbook for composers. So, I mean, you've learned all, obviously all of the theory, all the stuff you need to compose actual music, but in these different mediums, I mean, how long does it take to really get a feel for like, this is how I need to do it here.
1: I have not learned all the theory and all the (laughs) (laughs) I (laughs) I have learned, you know, I feel like it's an infinite well to draw from. I'm always, every day, I feel like I'm reinventing the wheel to an extent, um, as I'm, as I'm trying to crack a certain project, um, and, and especially at the beginning where it just feels like, like you're starting from square one again. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, so, so specifically you're asking how long does it take to learn what aspect
0: Well, Um, like, say, say games, Um, you know, I I know you've picked up tricks about like, instead of repeating a song over and over again, here's one of the things we can do to sort of sort of break it up. I mean, like, was that a fast uh, process to get acclimated for you? Or are you still gradually learning that part of it? too?
1: I'm still learning everything. I mean, um, you know, you ever we all go into, I think we all especially with creative things that are a little more abstract and less concrete. I don't know if it's like this with programming or not, but with music I sort of have a set as I get older I have more and more set ideas of well this will work well here and this won't work so well here which is both a liability and also a um I'm sorry both a both a you know it's good to have those instincts but it could also be a liability because you know you don't want to get locked into that thinking and mm-hmm. definitely in Postonomics, there were moments where I found myself thinking uh something that Jody, the developer was asking wouldn't work And and sometimes I would say this. And then, and then of course I would think back on that and be like, you know, is that really my job? Am I really there to say, no, this can't work? And I, I think to an extent it is, but it's also more my job to, to at the very least find the spirit of what they're asking for and, and do that, even if I'm not literally doing what they're asking for. Right. And so, and so, and that always involves being able to sort of be self aware enough to, to, you know, turn off whatever judge in your head is telling you yes or no, and and then step back and, and try new things. And, and certainly on Potionomics, um, back to sort of the player experience side of it, Jody really wanted really memorable themes for these characters, like just like earworms basically. And that's, that's great. That's great for me because that means I get to write memorable music. But again, from a player experience perspective, I'm, I'm, I'm constantly thinking, man, are they going to get, are they going to get sick of hearing this melody, right? Number one, number two, Dottie really wanted the music to be, um, dynamic, which means, um, change over time. And number three, he really wanted there to be no, um, like quick time events, meaning Mm. I don't know if that's the right word, but no, no timed sequences in the game where player control is taken from the player, meaning, uh, basically meaning no cutscenes, but not, not exactly cut scenes. Um, more like like moments, um, I don't know if you've ever ever played the game Ori in the Blind Forest, but that is a game which is, it's a side scroller. So you never really, you never really leave the gameplay view, but it will take player control away from you momentarily where a a scripted sequence will happen Mm -hmm. within a certain amount of time on screen. And so if as a composer, I was scoring that game, I would know how much time I had for a certain amount of music to play, right? So I would be able to write a theme and know that it'll get to the end of that theme by the end of that scripted sequence. There are no scripted sequences in post Everything is clickable and skippable from the player, um, which means the melody-based music that we were writing um, would be interrupted, right? You'll have a melody that's evolving, and it'll just be cut off, right? Now, if, if the music is is adapting to the player input like that, if that makes sense. So that was a problem that I, I really had to sort out on that game because, um, h- how do we achieve that dynamic music that Jotty's looking for? Also have strong melodies, also have music that can change at any point. Um, and eventually I was, I sort of settled on, um, well, you can't <laughs> have all three, but I can sort of balance it in a way where it sort of works. I can, I, and so with post it was more a matter of, okay, there's this much text. For the reader to get through they're probably going to read about this average pace so as long as the music is this short i know i can at least finish this melodic idea before the player gets to this point in the narrative and then i can loop something at that point so it was a lot of a lot of thinking about like get my melody to this point loop something for a while hope the player hasn't gotten further beyond that and then if they haven't then it'll be smooth and if they have then well they're probably clicking Really quickly through any way to skip it. So they're probably not expecting a very smooth experience. I know that sounds really complicated, but that's, you know, that was sort of what we had to to work out. And that's all trial and error. Honestly, that's writing the music and putting it into the game, playing the game and then realizing, oh, that doesn't work at all. We have to change the music or at least implement it differently.
0: And it's another one of those things you can't hope to achieve if uh, the audio in its entirety is kind of an afterthought for the game. I mean,
1: Oh, yeah, right, right.
0: (laughs) I, I saw it mentioned that the game kind of goes for almost a, like a Pixar animated movie kind of vibe. And when I when I heard that, I thought, like, yeah, I can totally see that. And that, of course, would depend on tightly integrated, like audio field, just the same way the the animation style and the all, all that visual stuff like it it has its own, you know, regardless of the influence, it has its own identity. And the music for sure has to be a part of that. and I, It seems to work.
1: It does, yeah. No, we we did we did work it out. It's just it was just a process, and maybe maybe what I'm describing is, like I said, old hat for some composers. For me, it was new. Um, uh, like I I could I could conceptualize scripted sequences really well. My head I I can conceptualize dynamic music when it was in a certain genre, when it was more ambient and didn't have strong melodies, but it was just in this one case the specific set of needs this game had where it was like okay how do we do all this and I, and I bet every game ends up having that same those same set of special constraints you sort of have to figure out um yeah the animation I I don't want to say there are no scripted sequences there are maybe 3 or 4 where I do get to time things out with the animations but but on the whole the animation in the game is just as flexible it just sort of um, animations shift from one pose to the other. It's there were just all these different emotions, different expressions created for the characters. I'm not quite an expert on this, but from what I understood, there was just this bank of of emotional reactions the characters could 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 display, and then the and then the writer on the game could choose which emotional reaction they wanted for each section. And and again, we all there was a lot more integration between the t- the team members than I think you usually get on bigger teams. Yeah. Um, where the writer could have input in the animation and I could have input um, from the writer and vice versa. it was all really great
0: and for for a game in a you know a pretty specific category, I mean, like it's a simulation game. it's a little bit of strategy, it seems like. and it's so much effort for uh, a project that. Um, I, I feel like a lot of studios wouldn't have gone to those lengths. So if, if that makes sense, and I'm, I'm hoping that pays off because it, it seems like it was fantastically executed. I think that,
1: that might just be part of being an indie team and just being scrappy and yeah. trying to compete with the, uh, like punching above our weight kind of thing. You know, I mean, every aspect of the project was like that. I mean, recording in Buddha, recording an orchestra, right? For an indie right. game, is pretty unheard of. We didn't need to do it per se like i could have just done everything with samples or 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 synthesizers but you know it would have been that you know it would have just been just just enough not quite it would have been just not quite as impressive you know in in a way it it would would have this sheen of just not quite at at the highest production level we could do And, and you know we didn't want that i didn't want that for any aspect of the music i always wanted to be shooting for the absolute best i could with with you know within the budget that i had but but um, but they did. They do like you said. They do value music on that on that team. I mean, they they did Jody from the beginning wanted live orchestra, and so you know he found the money for it. And um, yeah, you, if you don't have that goal, um, it's not going to happen. So I really, yeah, really grateful for him. Hope hope we do it again. I hope hope he came from this and was like, oh yeah, that was worth it. Hopefully yeah. he's not coming from this thinking like, oh we'll just do it synthesized next time. But if he is, that's fine too. You know, we'll make it work. But but. Uh, But yeah, there is something special about the scrappiness, I think, of this team.
0: Right. I I would love to see that pay off for more studios so that more studios, like you said, punch above their weight class and really swing for the fences when they want to do, you know, great music, great animation. Because, um, you know, I should have phrased that a little more carefully because I want every size studio to try their wildest imagination, bring it to life. I mean, if you're a solo dev and you can only swing static drawings of characters and um you know loops that you got from the royalty-free part of youtube fantastic i want to see it i want to play it like (laughs) but you can make
1: you can make brilliant work that way too i don't want to knock it it's just that this game had this particular aesthetic that um that that did call for live orchestra i mean obviously most not all games would need a live orchestra not even every track in our game needs a live orchestra those are the ones i'm sort of showcasing a lot of course because i think they're awesome but uh but yeah, no, but continue like it didn't mean to interrupt.
0: No, um, totally. and, and you you got the, the point for sure. It's like uh, try anything you can. And when you get a shot to like when you find a little room in the budget, a little extra time on your hands, like take those big swings. Because, again, I would I would love to see more studios get to do that. And and I'm sure like, do you do uh, a fair amount of work with, you know, synthesizers and that kind of thing? Or do you always get to do like real recordings, real music, stuff like that?
1: All the Disney stuff is synthesized for the most part. Um, for those that level of, of programming, um, the budgets the budgets for the for the music really just aren't quite high enough to to go out. Um, and the other thing about that is, I do think Disney is a bit more beholden to recording locally, and so mm-hmm. there are some, some some union considerations, which you know I'm I'm, I'm all for. But uh, but yeah, no, it, it is the exception, unfortunately. Um, I would say, an, uh, at least for the projects that I get. That are sort of my my bread and butter work. For the projects that I do on the side that are maybe more independent or ones I have more creative control over, I, I always try to like. For me, working with live musicians is part of the the job. That's part of the joy of what I do. I mean, yeah. I'm um, I'm not like I do work with synthesizers. I have a nice little collection of little cheap analog synths over here. I love nice. these little Korg these little Korg guys. This yeah. is a slightly more expensive Korg Mini Log XD. So you know, I, I play around with traditional synths. They're really great for sci-fi, horror stuff, sound design. When I said synths earlier, I was actually talking more about synthesized orchestra stuff. Which, sure. uh, just to clarify, is what I meant by the Disney stuff being samples or synthesized. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, but, but 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 it just so happens that I grew up playing in orchestras. Um, that's the kind of music that I that I know really well, and so for me, that's 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 always just sort of been the 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 the, the, the like the nat the most natural way of, of writing music in a in a way it would be better if it wasn't because it would be cheaper if i just made music using analog synths right because that would just be me but but yeah for better or worse i like working with live musicians which means i have to budget budget for them when i'm working out my project my rate and you know having creative discussions with people
0: Yeah. Moving parts and moving people. That's always uh, uh, difficult. So do you, do you get to work on your own uh, music very much? Do you even want to with the amount of work you're doing now? I mean, how's it look?
1: I used to feel always really guilty about answering that question because I always felt like, Oh yeah, I should, I should be, I should be. Yes. I should be either like (laughs) bitter that I'm not working on my own music or Or have some big project going on that's secret. And I have to, I like that. But you know what? Lately, I've just started, sort of accepted the fact that, like, as a composer, as a musician, my medium really is film music. I mean, I know that seems a little strange because I'm always, in a way, working for somebody else. But, I mean, sure, I get notes from other people. Sure, my... Music is sort of beholden to the overall creative direction of the project, but but still the vast majority of the creative work, the vast majority of the decisions that get made are, are me. I mean, I still have to, to bring a vision to the table. I mean, even if they, they think they have a strong idea of what they want, it's still not a fully formed idea until there's music, you know, in front of them and they can react to it. And so, so yeah, I, for me, honestly, this is just what I want to do. I, I write, I like writing for film and TV. I like writing for games. I love the collaborative process. Um, it's hard. The collaborative process is very difficult, but, but it's what, it's what, it's what, you know, gets me inspired. It's what lights the fire under, under my ass, so to speak. So (laughs) yeah, no, I I don't feel bad or or necessarily feel a drive to write other music. Um, I used to, I mean, of course I went to school and I, wrote my own music uh, as a kid. But but now I'm very happy to just continue to to find projects that inspire me. and um, And when projects aren't inspiring me, I just work a little harder to either find a different approach to those projects or, you know, like just look outside of my day-to-day work. And like I said, do an indie project here and there or, or work for free on something that I'm passionate about. So there's always something to do that can fuel a different part of my Creative output, as long as I, you know, it doesn't think that. It's not that hard to find projects to, to jump in on, especially if 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 you're lucky enough, as I am, to to make money um, writing for for like consistent money writing for a company like Disney. I mean, that really affords me the freedom to do lots of other things.
0: Mm-hmm. I think it's cool. I think well, it's a
1: long it's a long answer. I'm sorry.
0: No, that's but. fine. It's it's exactly the kind of thing I wanted to know because it does seem like you would be still plenty rewarded from the collaborative process. Like you talked about, like you have a lot of people doing very difficult, very emotional things in a, in a number of different mediums to all come together to make a movie, uh, you know, a film, a TV show, whatever it is. And uh, it, it would be hard to, to, you know, step into your shoes and say that, but like it, it would be, I would think it would be very rewarding much the same way it would be if I was just sitting at home and went like, let's start from scratch and compose an album. Like, Okay, more freedom. You know, obviously, you get to do it your way, but like that—that seems very rewarding, right?
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, even if you're sitting down to compose an album, I mean, the only real difference between um, doing that and working on a a film or a game is that you are you—you still need to create creative boundaries for yourself, right? If you're creating an album, you still need to come up with a concept and uh, and wall off your garden a little bit in such a way that you're not just. Picking from the infinite well of ideas around you, so so in a way you're you're coming up with the concept is what you're doing if you're writing the album, right? Um, and you're not quite coming up with the concept for the game at the most funda- foundational level, but you still have to bring a concept right to the game or to the movie or to the film that is inspired from that that sort of other touchstone. So I, again, for me, it's it's really not that different. Um, I just enjoy it more working yeah. in those mediums. I totally respect people though who want to, you know, especially if you're writing lyrics. I mean, I think I think if you're a lyricist, music has a much different meaning to you. Um, maybe yeah. a more literal meaning sometimes. Um, I actually have a hard time responding to music mm-hmm. <laughs> with lyrics. I prefer, I prefer. I you know, I grew up listening to people like Bjork and Radiohead and mm-hmm. Tori Amos. To go way back, where, where the lyrics didn't really matter that much. Yeah. Rage Against the Machine, where the lyrics kind of matter, but they're not. It's more more the energy that matters, right? Not the the, the, the I don't know it, it um, yeah, I, I, I consume lyrics, I think differently than some some other folks do.
0: I like that. It's it's responding to the energy. I, I think that's important in music. And uh, I listened to rage earlier today. So <laughs> oh, you did. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's yeah. that's my jam for sure. Uh, I'm guilty of doing what I always do when I have musical guests on. The hour flies by, and oh, cool. we we could fill a much longer period of time, but we have to wall off the conversation. Also, I guess. So uh, before we go, uh, let listeners know where to find you online. Uh, Potionomics. Anything you want to plug?
1: Yeah, uh well the game came out on Monday and so if you are a gamer I would love for you to check out the game. It's on Steam currently. I, I do think the developers want to bring it to consoles but that's still TBD. Mm-hmm. Um you can get the soundtrack on Steam as well. It can uh it's currently bundled with the art book by uh which contains amazing amount of concept art by the uh by Hope Lee um who's one of the team members. Uh you can also buy the soundtrack on my Bandcamp page. That's a little bit more of a direct way of supporting me if you want to do that. And it's also streaming. So I I mainly just want to plug that, check out the game, check out the soundtrack, Um, you know, find me on Twitter. If you want to reach out, I'm, I'm uh, you know, always looking for new collaborators and always interested to, you know, if you want to pitch something, I'd love to hear it.
0: Yeah. And hopefully this is the first of many game projects like this, that you get to do because uh, it looks like this one has been thoroughly knocked out of the park. So I'd love to see some more.
1: Thanks so much for having me. This has been great. I appreciate the, this was a nice casual chat about art making and it was great.
0: Let's, let's do it again sometime soon. Thanks again. Okay, as always, if you enjoy Game Dev Breakdown, please consider subscribing wherever you're listening right now. We have articles, show notes, and more available at codewrightplay.com. You can reach out on Twitter at CodewrightPlay at game Dev pod and me at mechatodzilla with 1D and 2Ls. Thank you guys so much. Thank you to our guests. Thank you to our sponsors. Show them some love, and we will talk to you next time. Thanks, everybody.